What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. At this time, Rachel's going to introduce our guest speakers. We do plan to have uh, throughout this next election season, as you know, we'll have everybody that can come to speak uh, to our club so you can hear from all the candidates for office. So uh, we, want, we want to be an informed populace, don't we? We want to be informed, and so uh, we will make it every effort to get everybody here that's running for, for any significant office uh, in the state. So, and I appreciate you all coming to learn about the candidates. I'm going to learn along with you. And I appreciate also having Duncan to be able to broadcast on someone's blog and help to report it for us in the paper. But thank you all again. And um, Rachel, introduce our guest speakers, okay? Today we have two candidates who are near, new to me, both of them. I've never met either one of them before, but we're glad to have them. Uh, as far as I know, they're the only two candidates who have said they're running for Senate District 31. If anybody else has said so, I haven't heard. But uh, we have Josh Carnley from Enterprise and Mike Jones from Andalusia. Yes, so I don't know what other candidates are in this district. Do y'all know? I haven't heard anybody yet. So, but anyway, Josh got here first, so I told him he could, you know, pick where he wanted to go first or last. He said he really didn't care. Do you care? (laughs) I went first last time. (laughs) After both speakers finish, we will have questions. All right. Thank you. Sorry, lift this up a little bit. Hope I won't break it there. Um, Well, it's a pleasure to be here today. Appreciate the opportunity and uh, thank Miss Lee for extending the invitation to come and to speak to you guys. Um, yeah, you know, I am one of the uh, candidates for State Senate District 31. Uh, I'm from Ino, Alabama, um, and, and I always find it a unique challenge to describe where that is. It's uh, my explanation is it's halfway between op and enterprise. Uh, about the only thing we're known for is a church and farming. Uh, it's about 10 miles south of Elba, so uh, if, you, if you've ever passed through there, it don't take long and you're, you're gone. But, uh, you know, that's home to me and, and, and proud to be from there. I grew up on my family's farm down there. They, they still farm, uh, you know, with cotton, peanuts, cattle, poultry, uh, you know, enjoy that. And, and, and was privileged to grow up in that uh, you know, learned a lot of valuable life lessons on the family farm. Uh, you know, honest work, honest living, uh, hard work. You know, I didn't necessarily choose that. It was chosen for me by my father. But, uh, you know, I, I never recall in the summer on a Saturday him coming in and politely asking me, did I want to work today? It was a uh, get your tail out of bed. We got stuff to do. So. You know, and responsibility, things that he entrusted me with, you know, I was expected to get those things done. And, uh, you know, for those, I'm very thankful. Uh, Probably at that point in my life, I was mad and frustrated that uh, my friends were getting to go and do what they wanted to. But 
You know, I am thankful for that lifestyle that I grew up in. Uh, went to a small little public school there, Kinston High School. Probably like I know, most of you may not know where that's at, but southwest part of Coffee County. Um, after high school, I, uh, I attended Auburn University, received a degree in uh, agronomy and soils, which uh, is, is, is crop production and uh, agriculture science. And after uh, I graduated there in 2000, after I graduated uh, from Auburn, I moved back home, had the opportunity to uh, start my own small business, open up an insurance agency. Uh, in 2008, I had the privilege of uh, partnering and merging in with Sam Buck Insurance. Uh, it, it, I don't know if most of you are familiar with Sam Buck, but has its roots here in Troy. Actually, the agency began here. Denny's father, Bill Sanford, started the agency. Um, and uh, Denny came back home from school and took over. And, you know, I met Denny uh, back in 2008, and, and it's been a privilege to, to work there and, and to get to know him. He's a mentor in my professional life and, you know, appreciate what he does for me. Um, you know, and, and, and Sandbuck, we've got offices. We've got uh, one in Troy here. It's our primary location. It's in the old Rosenberg department store, I think, if I'm saying that right. Denny can give you a history lesson if you want it. I can't. He can't. Uh, we've got an office in Enterprise, then we've got one in Troy. Uh, I mean in Andalusia. But, uh, you know, enjoy that, that uh, it, as my career. But after, uh, after college, I met my wife, Valerie Presley. Um, uh, we've been married 18 years. She's from Op, Alabama. Uh, she grew up on a dairy farm there, so she too knows hard work and uh, she's a chemical engineer by degree. Uh, we have, uh, we've been blessed with three wonderful kids. Uh, I've got a 15-year-old daughter, Presley. Um, got a 12-year-old daughter, Stella, and a nine-year-old son, John Matthew. Uh, and, and like most people with young kids, you know, we got plenty to do when uh, we're not doing grown-up things. So we enjoy that and enjoy, uh, you know, those blessings in our life. Active in our church there. Again, this is about what we're known for. I know Baptist Church, if you ever pass by it down there, that's kind of what I know is known for. But involved there in our church, I'm a teacher, also a deacon, and, uh, you know, counted a privilege to be able to serve. I actually grew up in that church, but, uh, you know, that's where we attend church at. Um, you know, in 2012, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, seek the open seat for county commission where I live at there in Coffee County. Uh, I, I did that and was successful in my campaign. I actually ended up running against a guy that I go to church with. Made it uh, somewhat awkward, but we worked through it and, uh, you know, acted like we were supposed to and, and friends still today, you know, and I'm thankful for that. Um, uh, but, you know, throughout the commission, I've, I've had the opportunity to, uh, to learn a lot of things. And, you know, in my, at being a husband and a father in my, uh, you know, in my professional career as well as being a county commissioner, you know, there's a lot of valuable lessons that I've learned that I feel like would help me to, uh, to be a great senator to represent District 31. And, you know, just a few of those things would be, um, you know, hard work. You know, it doesn't matter if it's in my family or if it's on, you know, in our small business or if it's, you know, working for the county commission. You know, I always was taught, you know, you get what you put into it. And so to get anything out of it, I've got to work hard and I've got to put in the time and the effort and go the extra mile. Uh, not just kind of be average and, and do just enough. And I've never done that in my career. I don't do it in our family, and I wouldn't do it in politics. But, um, you know, also uh, uh, cooperation, team spirit, working together in our county, 
Uh, I've had the opportunity to be partners in a lot of our economic development that's gone on in the county. And, uh, you know, through that, we've had to partner with municipalities or with surrounding counties to try to work together to make sure uh, we could provide the resources that were needed to attract those uh, those businesses. And so, you know, I, you know, that's one thing that I would uh, feel that I offer is that I'm cooperative. I, I know that, uh, you know, there's an old saying, a high tide rises all ships, and I believe that in government or in business or at home. Uh, you know, and, and when I started out my business back in 2001, I had a verse printed on my card. And it was 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Uh, it says, let no man seek his own good, but everyone seek the good, the well-being of another. And, you know, I believe if we run our businesses like that, if we run our government like that, this world would be a, a lot better place uh, because we would be trying to put others' needs and others, uh, uh, you know, the, the, their wants ahead of ours instead of trying to say, oh, well, what's in it for me? And so I, I, I feel like I could bring that uh, to this position. Um, you know, one of the last things, but certainly not least, is, um, you know, listening. Uh, you know, when you're young, you think you know everything. I, every day that goes by, I realize my parents are a whole lot smarter than I gave them credit for. Uh, Denny will tell you I butt heads with him a lot, but, you know, I realize he's been through it, and he's got a lot of experience that serves me well if I just open up my ears and listen. And so, you know, I've learned to do that, and, uh, you know, I believe that that's a big deal in any level of government, whether it's in the county commission or state senate or anywhere further than that, you know, is the, the, the willingness to come home and to listen and to serve. And, you know, we live in a representative democracy, and that means that I serve you, uh, you know, that I come home and that I say, you know, what's your input on this? And I take that and the available facts and I make the best decision that I feel like benefits, you know, District 31. And that's what I promised that I would bring to you. You know, just some of the things in, in closing that I, I, I believe that, you know, I stand firm in and, uh, you know, want to represent in this uh, <laughs> as your state senator. Um, you know, first and foremost is my Christian faith. That's what defines me. That's what helps me make my decisions. Uh, you know, I believe if I make decisions based on that, those decisions will be good. Um, you know, I believe in, um, you know, fiscal, uh, being a fiscal conservative, you know, making, a, making sure the, ba the budget's balanced and making sure that we live within our means. You know, I think what we're about to see in the United States is inflation overrun us. Uh, and we better have our fiscal house in order or things are going to get ugly. Um, you know, three children in public education, so education's a big deal to me. I want to make sure my kids, just like you probably do for your children or grandchildren, have the best opportunity for the best education and be prepared for whatever it is they choose, whatever they choose to do in life. Um, you know, economic development, we all say that, but, you know, there's a lot of things that surround that. Uh, making sure that we build the infrastructure, we have better roads and bridges, that we keep our taxes low, that we uh, are investing and in being proactive in economic development and using the resources in our area. Um, you know, a strong military. You know, Fort Rucker's in our backyard. I mean, we see helicopters flying every day, and we say, well, that's a federal issue. But you know, at the state level, what we have to do here in uh, Pike County and Coffee County and Dale County is make sure that we're being proactive and being prepared for, you know, any kind of BRAC realignment or, you know, just making sure that we're offering resources to our military to be supportive of them. you got Lockheed Martin up here. You know, that's a big deal uh, for our military. We need to make sure that we're doing our job uh, to, to attract those businesses and make sure that we're supporting our military. 
Uh, and last but certainly not least um, are our veterans. You know, I've gotten to go around and meet a lot of veterans, and, and we have really uh, not done the job that we should do uh, as citizens and as leaders to take care of them, to make sure when they come home. We had a group of National Guard that returned from overseas in Enterprise. They actually flew into Dothan. They returned on Sunday night. There were not enough buses there to pick all those folks up. These people that went overseas to serve us came home, nobody there to welcome them but family, and not enough buses to pick them up and bring them home. You know, and, and to me, those are issues that we have to take care of, and we have to make sure that we're working hard. But, uh, you know, those are just some of the things, and I'm sure we'll get to answer questions, but I appreciate your time, and I look forward to answering questions. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Not quite as tall. <laughs> uh, good afternoon. My name is Mike Jones. Uh, I'm from Andalusia. Uh, I'm married to Kathy Jones. Uh, we have two daughters, uh, Olivia and Sophia. Olivia is in graduate school at Villanova in Philadelphia, which I'm not a big fan of, but that was they offered a scholarship, so there she goes. Um, uh, my youngest, Sophia, is a senior in high school, and so we're in the process of looking at colleges, and I'm sure most of you have had that opportunity and that fun, and I can tell you that I'll be glad when that's over and we'll be finished with that. <laughs> Uh, I will say this. Uh, I've been in elected office since 2010. Uh, so my daughters and my wife have been th uh, through these type of things uh, for years now. And it's a toll on families uh, because if you do this job correctly, it says, it says in, the, in, the, in, the, in the code that this is a part-time job. Uh, that's just not reality. If you do this job right and you do it the way it needs to be done, it's a full-time job. And anybody who works in it and works around it knows that. As far as uh, my background... Uh, I've been a lawyer since 1992, so I'm coming up on 30 years. I've, I know that sounds, at least to me, it sounds like a long time ago, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's gone by very fast. Uh, during that time, I've been a, a, a special circuit judge. I've been a, I am a municipal court judge. I've been holding uh, the municipal court judge position in Andalusia since 2008. Um, I've done a little bit of everything. The primary area of practice that I had for almost 30 years was family law. So I've been working with families. Uh, whether it be in all phases, um, custody cases, adoptions, uh, anything that dealt with families for a long time. <clears throat> and, and frankly, you have to have a certain personality to work with family law. You've got to have patience. You've got to have uh, the willingness and the ability to listen because people are going through some of the most stressful times of their life. And so all of that, um, you know, we look at things in our life that bring us to a point. And I've, my parents have asked me, you know, how is it that this seems so easy to you, this, this type of job? And I say, well, I look at everything God's put in my path on the way here. And it's amazing, those things that I didn't think much of while we were traveling down that path, when it all comes together, it just seems to work. And that's, that's, I've been blessed in that, in that way. As far as um, uh, state representative, I was elected in 2010. That's when the Republicans took over uh, in 2010. So we came in with a large group. Uh, 
I can tell you this, that was an experience. Um, I, I want to tell you one story, and I haven't told this story to any group before, so you're the first. Uh, when we came into office in 2010, the freshman class, we were a pretty large class. We had about 27 of us. And out of 105 house members, that's almost a third of the house, so it's a sizable class. So they, uh, the senior members in the, in the Republican caucus uh, picked about four of us to bring what they call platform bills. And these are bills that are, that are big deals. So the, the reason, the things that we're pushing is the Republican caucus. And so I was asked to bring a particular bill, and they wanted to teach us, because we're all freshmen, we've never done this before, we've never presented a bill in, in, in the legislature. And so they brought us to a room, and they had some senior members that were there to teach us how to go about presenting a bill and how to pass legislation. And so we're listening to them, and they're telling us, hey, you know, lay back, don't, don't engage in a fight, just allow everything to happen, don't worry, you'll, have a, you'll get your vote, and we'll pass it because we're in charge. Well, after I listened to them, they asked me, you know, they, they saw my reaction, which was a little different than everybody else around the table, and they said, well, what, what's wrong, Mike? And I said, well, I'll go ahead and tell you guys, I don't do things that way. And they asked me, what do you, what do you mean? I said, well, I come from the background where you pick the biggest bully in the schoolyard and you go pick a fight. And so I went and I asked who the, who the best debaters were in the Democratic caucus, and I went and picked the fight. I told them to bring it and that I was going to be ready. And, um, and I did that because, frankly, I just don't believe that you, you, you show weakness in those positions. I think you have to show strength. And so, uh, and so sure enough, um, the, and I went and picked the fight with the ones you probably have heard of, uh, Thomas Jackson, John Knight, Alvin Holmes. And I'm sure some of you, have you ever heard Alvin Holmes' name, by the way? Um, and so we're down at the well, and my bill's up, and I'm, uh, and I'm going at it with them, and we're, holding, we're holding, holding my own. And Alvin Holmes, his light comes on, and he comes down. And if you've never heard Alvin Holmes, now Alvin's now passed away, but in his prime, he was a force. Uh, Alvin came down to the well, and most people don't know this. Alvin was extremely intelligent, uh, very gifted as far as his intellect. He also had a great knowledge of our U.S. Constitution, and he liked to air it out to new members to try to intimidate them and try to press on them a little bit. And he started that with me, and uh, and I was just smiling. And he came, and after about five minutes, he, he just kept asking, you know, what, what's going on? I said, well, Representative Holmes, I said, um, I happen to be a student of the Constitution as well. I said, matter of fact, I said, uh, I keep a copy of it, and I've been carrying it for almost 30 years since I was in law school. I was given this copy as a freshman law student, uh, and this was in the 80s, so Warren Berger is the, is the U.S. Supreme Court Justice. It's on this wow. copy of it. So for some of you who may remember Chief Justice Warren Berger, you'll understand. And I said, so this is the one they gave me in law school, and I said, the reason why I became a student of it is, is I was just so impressed how our entire government is, is drawn up as far as the, the basics in this one little pamphlet. It didn't take a 500-page bill. It didn't take some massive document to explain it. It just took the right words. And so because of that, I just was always amazed with it, and I've just, I've just kept it. So I'm one of those nerds that every now and then you would see me out looking at this pamphlet just because I thought it was interesting to read. And, uh, and so I started debating him on the Constitution. Well, after a while, he started smiling. And so uh, from that one debate, uh, two things occurred. One, uh, those members that I debated with, we became very good friends, including Alvin Holmes. And two, they almost never came down and debated me after that. So, <laughs> so we never we didn't have much more to do with after that. Um, since I've been in the House, um, I've been very blessed. Um, I had one of the best uh, mentors you could possibly have. I came in in 2010, and I spent most of my first year on the Senate floor. Uh, I sat next to Jimmy Holly because if if 
if you're foolish enough not to sit next to Jimmy and learn how to do this job, then uh, you're, you're missing out. And so Senator Holly and I, frankly, we, we've become very, very good friends. Uh, we have worked together on virtually everything. Um, I, we've worked together as recently as yesterday. We're working on a project that's going on in this Senate district right now, and because of my position in the House, uh, he and I are working together to make it happen. In fact, we'll be working on it tomorrow, hopefully around the governor's desk uh, when we're talking with her on it. Um, but during that time in the House, I've served as the chair of the Judicial Committee for three years. Um, judicial Committee is where the vast majority of bills travel. Probably as much as 55, 60 percent of all the bills end up traveling through Judiciary Committee. Um, during that time, I've also served as, and this is the one that I've said but oftentimes gets the winks, um, I chaired the impeachment committee for Governor Robert Bentley. Uh, that was not something that I volunteered for. I was volunteered for that job. Uh, however, uh, I, once I was assigned that role, I took it very seriously. So I began, uh, in the history of our state, we've never impeached um, a governor. We've actually never impeached anybody. Uh, as far as a, a constitutional officer, we've impeached some uh, sheriffs and some uh, lower level positions, but the law is a little different on that. And so to prepare for that, we had to design all the rules. We had to design the entire procedure for, for that impeachment process. And so I've worked with uh, similar chairs in other states like Illinois. Uh, the last major impeachment of a governor in the United States at that time was uh, Governor Bogovich in Illinois. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out and spoke with their uh, chairman of their impeachment committee, and we designed that process. So, um, so I, I learned a lot during that process as well. I have, for the last four years, and it will end up being five at the end of this term, have served as chair of the Rules Committee in the House. The Rules Committee is, um, is a pivotal committee for, for anybody, both House and Senate. Uh, all bills that get to the House floor must come through Rules Committee. And the only bills that are eligible for the Rules Committee to select are picked by the chairman of the Rules Committee. So. It, it, it's, it's, it puts a lot of work. Uh, and so that part-time job that everybody keeps talking about, that this, this is supposed to be, it's definitely not a part-time job. When I ran in 2010, I made two campaign promises, and only two, and I'm glad I, I limited it to. One was that I, I would hold town hall meetings before and after every regular session. I have done that. I have honored that promise. The only exception is COVID because our governor ordered that we could not have those kind of meetings for a period of time. Once that, gov that order was rescinded, I immediately started those meetings back. And um, the one thing that I have had the blessing of is Senator Holly has never missed one town hall meeting. Mm -hmm. He and I have uh, been together on every town hall meeting we've ever had. Um, and we've had more than two in most years. Uh, we would always have a minimum of two, but usually we would have three or better, but at least two. Um, and that's been a blessing as well. The other promise I made is that I would never vote for a bill that I had not read. Whether it be in committee or on the House floor, I would never vote for a bill that I had not read. Now, that might not sound like a big deal, but we have roughly about 1,000 to 1,200 bills per year that are filed. Um, and as far as those bills that come through, some of those bills are as small as one or two or three pages. Some of those bills are as large as five, six, or 700 pages. It just depends on the issue. And so, um, and so how am I doing on time over there? Good. Okay. <laughs> uh, so as far as um, what I do, I'm generally one of the, thank you, ma'am. I'm generally one of the first people in the building, and that includes even staff. Um, and I'm usually one of the last people to leave the building. Um, and the reason for it is this. For me to actually read these bills, it takes time. There's simply no way to uh, shortcut that process. 
And I've become a pretty fast reader, but even if you're a fast reader, if you're having to read that many pages just to try to understand what's coming before the body, then, um, then it takes time. Now, during that course of time, and I'm going to give you one or two examples, um, you know, it's amazing what people will try to stick into a bill. And usually it's never on the first page. It's always, if it's a 60-something page bill, it's on page 32 at the bottom of the page. And so they don't expect anybody to read past the first three pages, which is usually the summary or the last page. I read all of those pages. And uh, I take notes. Um, I print out hard copies. Uh, I put all my copies of the bills on my desk on the House floor and with my intention of how I will vote, including amendments. And, uh, and I let any member look at my notes. I've been doing that for years. And I do that for a reason. Most members are not lawyers. Most members don't have the background, the ability to be able to read bills and keep up at that level. And so uh, what started as a campaign promise ended up being something that I just fell into and it became normal. So I just I do it now. Uh, but it helps other members to see my notes, and so I've offered them freely. And once again, including Democrats. Sometimes the Democrats will actually come down and look at my notes as well because they want to see what a particular bill does. <clears throat> One bill in particular that came through my, I think when I was chairing judiciary, it came through three years in a row, and I thought he would have given up after the second year, but he kept coming back. It was a bill that dealt with massage parlors, and the Democratic member kept putting in a clause that would uh, take away the requirement that it had to be a U.S. citizen. Uh, they were trying to remove that, that language, and they kept moving that language all throughout the bill. And uh, so the first year I caught it, I caught it the night before it was to come to the floor, and uh, and when I caught it, I just didn't have time to talk with that member in advance. And I told him when I was on the floor, and the bill died uh, on the floor. The second year it came up, he moved it about 15 pages further in the bill. And, and so he clearly was intending on me not finding it. And uh, it came up on a different calendar. I saw that one in advance. Uh, a friend of mine named Kerry Rich, who is big on immigration issues, I gave him a heads up. Hey, you want to work on an immigration issue? And he said, yes. And, of course, he came to the well and just laid total waste to the bill, and the bill died. And then he came back a third time, and he just came to me and said, are you going to kill my bill? And I said, did you leave that clause in it? And he said, yes. And I said, yeah, I'm going to kill your bill. <laughs> so, so that's what I say that say this. If you don't read the bills, these things happen. That's how things happen in Washington. If someone's not there actually reading through this stuff and actually paying attention to it, then that's what happens. And so part of my role has been just that is to uh, take the time and read the bills. I've been blessed with the skills that allow me to do that, and it's my intention to continue doing that. As far as moving to the Senate, let me start by saying this. Um, we're losing a, a fierce member of the Senate. Uh, Senator Holly has done an incredible job. Uh, he's been there for us on more times than I can count. He has held the line, and I've watched him hold the line many times. Uh, even in these, uh, these years more recently, uh, where he, um, when he goes to the floor, uh, and I've explained this to other groups, if any of you have ever been deer hunting and you see that alpha buck come into the food plot and there's younger bucks around, and when the alpha buck comes in, all the young bucks bow their heads and back out, that's Jimmy Holly. When Jimmy comes on the Senate floor, if he ever gets out of that chair and starts walking into the well, that's exactly what the visual is. That's what's leaving the Senate, it's, and it's enormous. Um, he is, he's been a good friend to us for many, many years. And so it's not some small thing to replace Jimmy Holly. Um, what I hope and what I plan to do is, is that I've, I've already built those relationships in the Senate. Uh, because I'm in leadership in the, in the legislature, I work with Senate leadership already, have for years. 
I'm friends with all of them, most of them when we came in together. Uh, the pro tem, uh, Greg Reed and I uh, came in together. We're very good friends. Clay Schofield is the caucus leader in the Senate. He and I are personal friends. We all came in at the same time, um, and we've remained friends. And as rules chairman, every senator has to come through rules to get their bills passed in the House floor. So obviously you build very close, close relationships with the Senate members in, in that role. It's my intent to take that experience and that, those relationships that I've already built in the House and leadership and carry them to the Senate to represent us in the Senate. Um, I believe that I can do that. Now listen, trying to say I can replace Jimmy, I don't think anybody's going to say they can replace Jimmy. But I, I believe that I can carry it a long way. I believe that I can represent us very well in the Senate, and it won't take any time to learn the job. It won't take any time to, uh, uh, to figure everything out and know the, know the people. I'm already at that point. Uh, I hope that I can earn your vote and your support, and I appreciate it very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks both. Thanks to both of you for your perspectives, and I'm sure there's some folks out there that have a few questions. So when you pose a question, we'll probably ask it to both candidates. So, so do I have the first question? Yes, ma'am. Um, I have a question, and it has to do with these vaccine mandates. Um, there's Korsky, there's Lockheed, there's Rucker. There's thousands of people that are due to lose their jobs before Christmas unless something's done about the vaccine mandates. Um, the executive order that the governor did did not cover the people at Fort Rucker or the universities or Lockheed or Sikorsky. What is being done to help these people before they lose their jobs, right before Christmas? Um, I know there's an HB 31 bill that has been written to stop the vaccine mandates. Um, what is being done to stop these mandates? These people that are going to lose their jobs before Christmas. You want to go first, or I go after I'm not answering. It. Well, <laughs> you sure? I give you give you the opportunity. Um, you know, I've said this, and I'll continue to say it. Um, you know, it's not the issue is not the vaccine. It's the federal government overreach. Uh, you know, they're they're infringing on our personal freedoms. Um, you know, I, I truly believe in personal responsibility. I mean, I think we all need to do our part to take care of, you know, ourselves and our family members and those that we're around. Um, but you know, I, I definitely do not agree with the federal government. I, I've attended several meetings and, and met with some defense contractors and talked to them about, you know, what their options are. And, and you know, I, I, you know, obviously I can't do anything right now, but try to support, you know, and, and I know we got a special session. Mike can talk about that uh, and, and the options. I know it takes two thirds of the legislature to bring that up in a special session. And, you know, maybe we get that opportunity to try to hit it before um, before they do lose their jobs, because most of this is coming up at the end of November and, and in December. So it's just a shame that we're at this point in our country um, where we're having to fight for personal freedoms of choice. You know, again, I'm, I'm for people taking care of 
themselves and those around them, and let's be responsible and not just be reckless, but uh, this is not about that. This is about a federal government that's trying to, you know, infringe on our freedoms, and I don't believe it stops here. I believe this is just a, a tipping point for other things and other issues that they want to shove down the American people's throat, and I think it's time for us to stand up and not allow that to happen. Well, the, the first thing I, I can say without any hesitation, I, I'm not supporting any mandates. I don't know a conservative Republican that will ever support those type of mandates. Um, and so there's never nobody that I'm around that I've ever heard say that. As far as what we're dealing with, uh, the groups that you're describing, the, the, the method by which they're using against those groups is coercion. And it's Biden. I mean, it's coming directly from the federal government, from our president. Uh, and the coercion is, is they're threatening to remove grants or contracts or anything of, that are monetary, and that's the, the method by threatening. So they're not, that's not a law change. That's just uh, that's an executive decision that the person that, frankly, we should be upset with is the one who said it, and that's President Biden. Um, and so they're being leveraged or coerced into that position. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I actually don't believe they'll ever follow through with it for one reason. Uh, we don't have enough people working right now. We can barely keep operations going in almost every business, including the, some of those very places that you named. They're having personnel problems. If we start losing people because of this, it'll shut businesses down all over this all over this district. And, I, and there's examples, and I think y'all have some businesses here. You may be aware of the same thing. I hear it when I travel around. Nobody's out there working. Nobody's willing to work because they're being paid to sit at home. Once again, another directive that's coming from the federal government because of Democratic leadership. Uh, I have actually been working for about a month and a half to two months with our Attorney General's office because the fight that we're going to have in this state is going to happen in courtrooms. That's where it's going to happen. And that's where our state is positioning, and we know that. So Steve Marshall is our Attorney General. Uh, I've been working with his office for quite some time. We've already been going back and forth with language that we can add to our state law. Um, he's, his office has given me probably about three or four different iterations or variations of some language that we're looking at. Uh, the key thing is this. We don't need to make enemies of Alabama businesses because they're not the enemy. They're being coerced and manhandled just like the contractors are being coerced and manhandled. So some people, and, and I'm going to say this, some people are trying to pitch you know, conservative Alabama business owners against conservative individuals in the state then we're all Republicans. So it's got all of us Republicans around a, around a circle shooting at each other. Well, if I'm a Democrat, I couldn't ask for a better scenario. That's the absolute best case scenario you can ever seek. That's the reason we have to remember who the actual enemy is in this situation. The enemy is where this mandate came from. That's the enemy. It's not Alabama businesses. I've talked with a number of business owners who have no desire to do any of this. They feel like they've got, a, they've got a gun to their back and they don't have options. And so that's what we're doing. We're trying to find language uh, and I've asked that of Attorney General Marshall if uh, that his office can provide us with what he needs to best represent us in a courtroom, which is where it's going to happen. And the reason why he hasn't filed and the other 26 attorney generals in the nation haven't filed yet is that because they haven't actually changed a regulation or law and pulled the trigger on it yet. It, right now it's all based on threats and the intention. And that's the reason why they haven't stepped into it at this point. So we're all aware of what the, what their, the Biden's administration has said. Uh, but until they actually move on it, which so far they haven't, it's just been an intimidation tactics, um, then we're waiting for that, for that move. When it moves, I think you'll see our attorney general engage immediately. He's ready for it. But we do want to arm him better. And so we are working with him now trying to find out better language that will help arm him better.
Well, what about HB 31, though? I mean, that's, and then, and you said yourself that you were the one that controls whether this goes to the floor. Right, HB so 31 is, HB 31 is a pre-file bill for the regular session. It wasn't a pre-file bill for any other thing. So the reason why it's given a number, HB 31, it's their, their bills that are pre-filed starting but right at the end of the last regular session, members start pre-filing bills for the next regular session. So the reason why it was given that number, 31, he just he probably filed it in midsummer. It's probably when he filed it. And so it's been done for preparation of the next regular. I don't know, and I think the representative who filed that bill is Richie Horton, I believe, uh, from North Alabama. It's either Richie or Tommy Haynes. It's one of the two. And they've not communicated with me directly if they're going to bring that during the special or not, so I can't tell you that they are. I don't know that yet. Um, but I can tell you that we are looking at language because that language, and I haven't read the bill yet. I generally read the pre-file bills about a month before we start the regular session, and the regular session starts January the 11th. And so I usually about mid-December, that's when I start reading all the pre-file bills. Uh, if I start reading pre-file bills all throughout the year, frankly, I never get any other work done. I, I have to actually judge on occasion. I have to do some of those other things too. But, but I do read all those, all, as many as I can before we start the session uh, so that I don't have to read them all during the session. Um, as far as this issue, though, um, I've been working this week with the Attorney General's office, still working on language. So it's not something that's static. We're actively working that issue. But the key is this, we have to file the right language that gives him the most firepower he can have in a courtroom. That's what we have to do. And that's where this fight is going to take place. There are other people who are saying that you should, you should lay, set things up to where Alabama businesses get sued if they do blank. Well, you've got to remember, they're not wanting to do this. This isn't Alabama businesses volunteering to do things. This is Alabama businesses with a gun to their head by the Biden administration being forced to do something. So we don't need to make them the enemy. They're not the enemy. They're, they're not. I mean, I've talked with numerous uh, business owners who've told me that. Um, but we do need to make sure we're prepared to fight the enemy, and that's where this is going to happen. It's going to happen in a courtroom. I was at a fair not too long ago and somebody walked up to me and she was mad because I told her I wouldn't support the lottery. Um, you know, to me, it's a voluntary tax. I mean, if that's what people are going to want to do, I, you know, I say it that way. But I, let me first answer your question. I told you earlier my foundation is in my Christian faith, and I just don't believe in that. I mean, um, I, I, so to tell you quickly, I oppose, you know, the lottery or any type of gambling. Um, you know, I, I've just... You know, I don't never personally done that. Not that, you know, I, I look on down on people that do. It's their choice. But, you know, I just know it, it's predatory. And typically they go after people. And, I, you know, it's their choice. But they get hooked on that stuff. And it's like somebody on drugs or alcohol. And, and they, it destroys families. And, and who's left to pick up the pieces? It's the communities. It's the government that they look to for support. Um, and, you know, I, I've heard the numbers. You know, we lose... 700 million a year out to out of state i don't know if that's uh, maybe that's accurate but you know uh, i just feel like um you know we need to do our part to take care of our communities and our people so i'm, I'm not in favor of supporting gambling or lottery
Well, this is an issue that, frankly, my record is pretty much straight across the line on this issue. Uh, in 2010, I was asked that same question when I first ran. And once again, I, my background is in family law, so I've been representing families for almost three decades now. I, I can tell you I have personally seen and I'm aware of families that have been destroyed by, because of gambling. And people who say gambling doesn't exist in Alabama, they don't know what they're talking about. It, it's always existed in Alabama. Uh, I've had families that uh, the wife didn't know the husband had, been, had mortgaged the house because of gambling debts. And at the time, and it destroyed their, their family. It separated, I mean, I, I don't mean just that husband and wife and their children. I mean, it, it destroyed the extended family because it, it had everybody in chaos. Uh, and, and so, once again, I, I, I mean, Josh and I are pretty much in the same spot on this issue. I've been, uh, you know, it's not just a religious issue because for me, my, my faith is, is in the same place that Josh is. Um, we have a similar background as far as our, our, our church and our Christian faith. Uh, for me, it's just I've, I've personally seen the impact on families, and I cannot support something that I've seen destroy families like that. I can also tell you that I've looked at a lot of the data because I'm a data guy. I like to know why I'm voting for things. And, you know, there's a cost to gambling. People who think it's, it's a volunteer, just a voluntary tax, that's not exactly true. The, the vast percentage of people that gamble are the poorest among us, the ones who should not be doing it in the first place because they have nothing. They're, they're literally gambling away bread money and money for their children uh, within this, this hope that uh, they're going to hit the big lotto or they're going to win some big cash, you know, cash back. Uh, when reality is, and that's part of what's, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to get on my soapbox a little now. Um, that's part of the reason we're having problems in this country. Instead of having faith in God and, and being just cornered with that foundation, we're looking for hope in a lotto machine. And that's what destroys our culture, and it's helping to destroy our families. And so I'm very protective of that issue. I don't, and everybody in the legislature, everybody in Montgomery, the lobbyists don't even talk with me anymore. They're, they're with gambling institutions. They know where I'm at. I don't hedge on it, and they, so they don't even visit me anymore. I'm rules chairman, and all the lobbyists usually want to visit with me, but they know better than to visit me on that issue. Thank you. We probably don't have time for another question. We've got three or four minutes left, and I think we'll reserve that time to get take care of our red elephant. I want to thank each of you for coming today, and I want to just echo um, this last question. I have a dear friend whose husband died quite suddenly back in the spring. <clears throat> we knew that he had some drug issues and so forth. And I just told her, I, I went out, when he died on Thursday, I drove up on Friday uh, to spend the day with her and just be there. And uh, I just told her, I said, Debbie, I hope that you can, hope you can still love him what you find out. Of course, uh, she discovered that she was deep in debt. And a lot of other stuff, too. But the, she knew he gambled, but she thought that had been, he would promised her he'd quit, you know. He'd been through counseling and everything else, too. So uh, it certainly is a destructive force uh, in, our, in, our, in our world. And it's not a new one, either, is it? Anyway, y'all all have a wonderful day. Yes, Earl? I'd like to ask one quick question. Okay. Uh, if you, if, without this race and the booze, yes, are you going to continue to serve as a representative? No, sir. No, sir. I, to run for Senate, I have to give up the House position. 
Yes, sir. So, I, so I'm not running for the House position anymore. I'm running for the Senate position. Senate District 31. Sir? You could run for the House. No, sir. You can't run for them at the same time. No, sir. So there's some other gentlemen that are running for what's now my House seat, and I wish them the best of luck. So. I'm sure about that. Yes, sir. That's, that's commitment. Um, Y'all have a wonderful remainder of the uh, day, and we will send you notification about November's meeting. Thank you all for coming, and thank you, especially those of you that bought tickets and those who brought items for Red Elephant. Thank you very much. We, we are adjourned.